I feel like I've been thoroughly churched already. Well, welcome again. My name is Clark, one of our associate pastors. We welcome each of you for being here. Uh, next week, we're going to start a new series about the church and how what is our role in the church. And we're going to follow the Nicene Creed and how God uh, sees the church as one, holy, apostolic, and Catholic or universal. And to see what is our role in the church. So we invite you to come back next Sunday as we start that new series. Then today is the end of a series we're doing called The Spirit-Filled Life, or Elements of the Spirit-Filled Life. The first one we talked about, unless the Holy Spirit fills us by faith, the human spirit will fail. The second week we talked about how when, uh, when we pray, we don't pray alone. That the Holy Spirit prays with us in our prayers, along with us. So God is with us in our prayers. And then last week we talked about how there's an unseen kingdom of God. And that just because it's not visible doesn't mean it's not real. And that the kingdom of God can live within us as temples of the Holy Spirit. That the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is already among us or within us. And then today, the final week is going to be, you're going to hear about speaking the truth in love. Or grace and truth. Being people of grace and truth. That's an element of the spirit-filled life of a believer. Speaking the truth in love. Now in the South, we don't do real well with speaking the truth in love. We'll, we'll kind of do the passive-aggressive gossipy uh, prayer request. You've heard this? We say, you need to pray for her, because here's what I heard. Right? <laughs> you heard that? Or, uh, well, bless her heart, but... Right? We've heard these things before. Uh, in, in many ways, we want to speak the truth more in the parking lot than we do in the meeting, right? We say what we really mean in the parking lot. But that's not really spiritual. It's not healthy for the body. And we're going to see that when we speak the truth in love and we're people of grace and truth, it actually builds up the body of Christ. It strengthens the body of Christ when we're people of grace and truth. But we're afraid to do it because we don't want to offend people. We don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to, I don't want to step on people's toes. But we have to remember how the Holy Spirit loves us. How Jesus loves us. That He loves us with grace and Truth that the Spirit gently corrects us. He's patient with us. He welcomes us with His grace, but God also, He, he corrects us he, he, with our conscience or, or gently leading us. See, Jesus takes this seriously about having right relationships where He says things like, before you come to the altar and bring your sacrifice and you have a problem with someone else or they have a problem with you, leave your sacrifice and go make yourself right in that relationship. Then come back and offer it to God. Because God values right, truth, and grace relationships over a sort of religious hypocrisy. That God is saying, you need to be people of grace and truth. Even Paul writes about this in Ephesians 4. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now when we talk about speaking the truth, saying what you need to say, it reminds me of a story of a single mom and her little boy, and they were hard-pressed for money, and she's working two or three jobs just to get by. And the little boy says, one day I'm going to grow up, and I'm going to get wealthy, and I'm going to get my mom whatever she needs. I'm going to pay her back for what, all she's done for me. So he did. He became a successful businessman. He had a lot of great businesses. He bought his mom a new house, new car, new clothes. As the years went by, he didn't know what else to get her. He thought, her birthday's coming up. I don't know what to get my mom. So he looks on the internet, searching for sort of exotic gifts, and he finds these birds that you could buy. They cost $5,000 a piece. The birds could dance. 
and they could sing, and they could do tricks, and they could talk. And he said, I'm going to get my mom these special birds for her birthday. I'll get her two of them, $10,000 on my credit card, ship them overnight. I call her the next day, Mom, did you get the birds? Do you like them? Happy birthday. She says, yes, honey, thank you. They were delicious. <laughs> Mom, you just had a $10,000 chicken dinner, Mom. They, those birds could dance. They could do tricks. They could talk. Well, maybe they should have said something. Right? Maybe they should have said something. Sometimes you should have said something, but you didn't. You felt God say, you should say that, but you don't. Right? Because we, we're afraid. But the word says, and there's, and, and there's, his perfect love casts out fear. That when we live in love by faith, you can speak the truth in love. Now, when Paul uses this word love, he uses a word called agape, which if you've been in church a while, you're familiar with agape. Now, it's something new in classical Greek, the word agape. It doesn't show up in a lot of classical Greek. And it's, what it means is goodwill or benevolence, divine love. Or it means a love in a way that God prefers. So there's, there's, there's uh, different types of love in Greek. There's eros, which is erotic love. There's phileo, which is brotherly. There's storge, which is like family relationship love. But he's saying, no, no, no. When you speak the truth in agape, it's divine love. It's, it's a love driven by faith. It's a love bigger than your own that you could ever manufacture. It's God's love through you. Because when you love each other with grace and truth, you're going to find the love of Jesus in there. Because that's how Jesus loves people, is with grace and truth. Now, the authors of the Gospels, they knew this. So when John, in the Gospel of John, writes this, in the very beginning of his Gospel, he writes these words. Now, we read these a lot at Christmas, but it applies today. It says, And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. So John is saying, here is Jesus, and he is full of grace and truth. I want to get this point across to you, the reader, because this is how I can best encapsulate this man, the son of God, is that he is full of both. He's not like half and half creamer. He's not like 50-50 or 80 grace and 20 truth. No, he's full of both. And in his love is this tension that we're uncomfortable with. Because sometimes with Jesus, it's messy with the way he loves people. Because truth says you're accountable. Truth says, I know you can do better than that. Grace says you're forgiven. Because our personalities lean toward one or the other. Right? Now, when you're growing up in your house, did you have a good cop, bad cop thing with mom and dad, maybe? Right? Maybe, like, you have the grace parent and the truth parent. Now, let's be honest. Which parent did you like better? <laughs> truth parent, right? No. You like grace. But if you grew up in a good home, you had both. You had both. But when Jesus loved people, there's this tension. And if we're tempted to run from that tension and choose one side or the other, we miss something very special about the love of God, the agape of God. And it's when we run to churches that are only grace-heavy or only truth-heavy, 
you're missing out. It's really an incomplete expression of the love of God. And I think God wants us to hang on to that tension. And you'll, you'll find in that place, it's a place of faith. And it's difficult. And it doesn't always make sense. But that's how Jesus loves people. That's how Jesus loves you. And he loves me. Andy Stanley, the pastor in Atlanta, he has a great quote about this. He says, we lean toward truth when it's about other people, right? Hey, y'all, my best friend, you know, you talk, but you lean toward grace when it's about you, right? Sometimes in Jesus, the way he loves people, there's this, he's like harsh sometimes. Sometimes he's crazy forgiving. Sometimes he's calling out religious hypocrisy. Or he's welcoming the outcast and the leper and the prostitute. There's grace and truth. John goes on again, a few verses down, he repeats it. For the law was given through Moses. Here's a contrast. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We want to lean one way or the other. And John says no. He was all of it in one person. That's how he loved and how he loves today. And the greatest story to encapsulate this idea of grace and truth is the story of the woman caught in adultery. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you've never heard the story. The Pharisees are religious leaders, and they want to trap Jesus in, and try and corner him and finally get him on a gotcha moment. And they use a human being as a pawn to win an argument. So when it says she was caught in adultery, that means they knew that she was, what was going on. They planned ahead, pull her out of a house in the act, throw her in the street, probably naked, maybe covered up, using her to try and trump over one on, on Jesus, right? And they said, Jesus, the law says we should stone this woman. And they're thinking we're justified to do that. Teacher, what do you say? Jesus doesn't say anything. He stoops down. Some people think he writes the sins of the men on the sand, or he draws a line. We're not sure what he does, but whatever he does, it works. Because he stands up and says, those of you without sin, you throw the first stone. One by one, from oldest to youngest, the stones fall. They hit the dirt. Woman, where are your accusers? They are gone, my Lord. Neither do I accuse you. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus says. The Son of God says this to her. Grace. Now go and leave your life of sin. Truth. Grace and truth. Jesus crosses this line because there's another person there. A person that Jesus loves. And he'll always fight for the person without a voice or the outcast or the hurting. And he loves them enough to tell them the truth. Now in Ephesians 4, the next verse of Ephesians, there's an odd phrasing of the way Paul writes this. It seems odd to us where he says, But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him. How do we grow up into a head? We usually, we don't even grow out of our heads. But how do, what does that mean? What Paul is saying is when we live lives of truth and love, of grace and truth, we will align ourselves with the head of the church, Jesus. We will be loving as he loved. We will be getting ourselves oriented to the head. And then he says this remarkable thing in the next verse. Paul says, it's from the head from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in agape. That when we speak the truth in love, when we're grace and truth people, we are then aligning ourselves with the head, with Jesus. 
When we do that, it promotes health and growth in the church. It's a remarkable thing. When we, when we pick one or the other, though, truth and grace, we miss something about the love of Jesus. I've met people in my life that said, I'm a truth person. You know these people? I'm a truth person. I stand for truth, right? And I say, well, maybe you're just kind of a jerk, right? <laughs> and the worst sort of jerks are religious jerks, right? When on my college campus, these guys would come and preach at us. This happens a lot in college campuses. They, they wave their Bibles, and they hold up signs. One guy had a sign one day, and it said, it was Romans 3, since all have sinned, we, you all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what he's preaching on us, right? I'm a young Christian at the time, and I see that sign, and I think, oh, that's true. I know I've fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah. But then my friend with me, he goes up to the, the preacher guy, and he quotes the very next verse that Paul writes, where Paul says, but you're now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. So he says, oh, excuse me, sir, preacher man, um, but uh, you're, I've taken it out of context. And then he looked at us and told us that we were going to hell. So, you know, you can't really, you can't really please everybody. But see, truth without grace, it's not really truth at all. Truth is not restrictive. It's actually life-giving. When you have boundaries on a road, it provides guidance. I mean, why else do you come to church? Yes, you want to see your friends. You want to be encouraged by the fellowship. You want to hear the music. I mean, you're here today to see Lewis, right? You want to see Lewis. I mean, the temptation's here. But you're also here because you want to hear something from God. You want some truth. What is right and wrong? How do I know? And sometimes it's not always that easy. But we're here because we want to know the truth. I don't want a Savior that's permissive. I want the Jesus in the Bible that tells me what I need to hear and not always what I want to hear, that speaks the truth to me in grace, in love. Because when we're raising our children, children are crying out for boundary, right? And they're wanting to know how far is too far, and you give them the boundary and they're happier. But when you don't, things fall apart. If we do that for our children, how much more would God do that for us? And saying, I love you enough to tell you the truth. But grace without truth is the opposite. Many United Methodists, as we should, are very much grace people, which I completely agree. We're very focused on the grace and the welcome and the forgiveness of God. But if that's all we talk about, we could be uh, rightly accused of what um, this idea of of a cheap grace, not a costly grace. A, a, a grace that has no accountability, no discipline. It's making it, well, as Stanley Hauerwas says from Duke Divinity School, he says that it's a, the greatest enemy of Christianity is not atheism, but sentimentality. That we, if we make the gospel all built on sentiment, that we miss something very beautiful about the love and the corrective nature and the sanctifying nature of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So if faith is only about truth, you're tempted to always be right. And you're not really fun at a party, if that's, if that's the case. You tend toward legalism, to forget about compassion, patience, relationships. It's sort of like, if you think about an oak tree, they have these beautiful trees in this campus. They're so awesome. And these trees have such deep roots. They're deeply 
rooted. And when the storm comes and blows on it, it doesn't tip over usually. If they have deep, set roots, they're, they're rooted, but they're flexible. When the wind blows, we're rooted, but they're flexible. It's the same way for us. We should be rooted in the truth of God's word, but flexible in grace. Wanting to love as God first loved us. Wanting to, to be patient with people as God is first patient with us. To be rooted and yet flexible. Because Paul says in the next verse of Ephesians, that if we're not rooted in truth and yet flexible, that we can be vulnerable to just a lot of bad ideas and bad doctrine. He says, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. So just because you receive the grace of God, absolutely. Paul had the same problem back then in Romans as we do today. We, we think, well, God forgives me. I can just do it again. It's like, well, God loves you. He forgives you. But as Romans 6 says, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? John Wesley had a beautiful metaphor for this idea of grace and truth at work in our lives. He called it the house of salvation. So picture in your mind a porch. Maybe a really great porch with rocking chairs and sweet tea. Yeah, that sounds nice. You'll be eating lunch in a little while. And he says that the, the porch of a home is like the prevenient grace of God. It's the grace of God that welcomes you in and says, have a seat. You're welcome here. I love you. Let's have a conversation. The prevenient, God loved you before you knew you even, you didn't even know what you don't know. God loves you before. God loves you as you are in the place that you are in this very day. He loves you. Come have a seat on the porch. Then Wesley would say that the, the door frame of the home is the justifying grace of God. That when we step through the door frame, we are then justified in the sight of God by faith. That not on our own merit, but what Jesus has done on our behalf. We are, we are atoned for our sin. So that when Jesus looks at us, or when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees a redeemed child of God. It is by faith you step through the door frame. And you are then, you are then atoned in the sight of of God. And then he would say that inside the home is the sanctifying grace of God. It's the grace of God that puts you to work. It's the grace of God that says, let's go out in the yard and dig and plant vegetables and give them away. Let's go in the kitchen and get dirty and, and do something for the kingdom. Let's go in the living room and have a Bible study, right? Let's live life in a way that maybe this year I'm more like Jesus than I was last year. And you won't always get it right. And this, these graces of God don't turn off and on. They're always at work. They're always at work. But you see that interplay of grace and truth. See, if truth fo focuses just on, uh, if our faith is just focused on the truth, it, your faith becomes a just behavior modification. And God's not interested in that. Because if we just modify our behavior, well, then what? Okay, I don't drink, I don't cuss, whatever. It's like, well, that doesn't matter. Uh, is, is that how Jesus loved people? God doesn't want that. If your grace focused only and focused on the porch aspect and welcoming, that's good. But then what? It's incomplete. Is that loving people like Jesus? See, here's, here's, here's the point. God loves you as you are on this day, grace. But God also loves you too much to leave you as you are, truth. So as we come today to the table, 
and we come to take of the Lord's Supper, it is grace. It is a beautiful grace poured out for you and for me for the forgiveness of our sin. That Jesus gave of his body and his blood. And, and God did it whether or not people would reciprocate or not. God loves the whole world. And he offers it to us day after day. God is saying, I love you on this day, just as you are. But I love you too much to leave you as you are. Let me be at work within you, to be growing you, stripping away the sin that's been entangling you for far too long. May you lay down your burden at my feet this morning. As you come and kneel, or you pray, or you get prayed for, do that and receive it as a gift, because that's what it is. I'm going to invite Jeff to come on up and pray for our uh, time in the Lord's Supper. And as we prepare to do that, um, Melissa and I, the other associate pastor, will be in the back of the room to be available to pray with you if you want to pray with somebody. We're going to invite you to come up the center aisle to receive the elements. And you're more than welcome to come kneel at the altars on either side. Then you can go around the side back to your seats. So, Jeff? Good, am I on? Thank you, Corey. Uh, it's great to see each one of you here. It's, it's amazing to be part of a church family, a congregation that is busy changing lives every day. Um, because we're busy changing lives every day, we're busy changing the world around us. Uh, because we're busy changing lives every day, we are investing in the things that matter to Jesus Christ. So thank you for being here and being part of this. I invite you to pray with me. Holy Spirit, we pray that you truly will make us a people of grace and truth. We thank you for the grace you've given us. We thank you for the truth that you've shared with us. May we grow every moment in that grace and the receiving of that truth. God, we give you thanks for this time together for the spirit of worship in this place. And we know, God, that you dwell in the midst of the praises of your people. And we know that we come into this place so that we can make an offering of ourselves as a living sacrifice to you. May that truly happen right now in this place. We thank you, God, for allowing us to be part of your renewing work in the world, part of your renewing work right here at Wesley Memorial Church and the ways that you are using us to change High Point. And we know, God, that the gates of hell themselves tremble at what we do this morning. And we thank you for your promise that the gates of hell shall not prevail against your kingdom's work. So God, we want to experience the fullness of Jesus Christ again in this place so that we can grow up into the head so that we can be changed from glory to glory and become more like Jesus than we've ever been before. We remember that love when Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread and gave thanks to you. He broke the bread, he gave it to his followers, and he said, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, Jesus took the cup gave thanks to you, shared the cup with his followers, and said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. So God, we remember, but through the power of your spirit, we want to go beyond remembering and actually re-experience your presence right now here in this place. So Holy Spirit, fall on each one of us. Allow this meal to become a sacred meal, a time of holy fellowship, holy communion with you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And with courage and with grace, ask you to continue that work. Help us to truly be your people here in this world. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite those who are um, serving to come on up and prepare to serve you. As Clark said, uh, we do want you to come through the center aisle. Uh, this is um, certainly not a Methodist table. This is the Lord's table. The only requirement for coming to this table is that you uh, love Jesus and you want to love Jesus more. So in a few moments, we'll invite you forward. Uh, do come through the center aisle and then you can return whatever way is easiest for you. We commune by intention, which means you'll be given a piece of the bread and then you'll dip that bread in the cup. And our prayer is that it will become the very body and blood of Jesus Christ for you. And you will experience anew the presence of Jesus in this place. And you will be able to receive more of the life of Jesus Christ into your life so that we truly can be the people of Jesus here in this world. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come down the center aisle. Uh, just um, come as you feel led. Um, this is where we meet Jesus here at this table. I'm so grateful that Jesus continues to sit at table with sinful people. I'm so grateful that Jesus continues to um, eat with sinners like us as he gives us the grace and then grows us up in truth.